The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. I'm Brian Sullivan, and you're listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. Our show airs live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. It is 5 a.m. at CNBC Global Headquarters, and here are your top five at five. We begin with the Fed ahead. Investors just a bit on edge ahead of the central bank's two-day policy meeting kicking off today, while one central bank insider says SPACs and even Bitcoin may be on the agenda. Then, rollout suspended. AstraZeneca remains under fire this morning as more countries pause their vaccine rollout. Europe's top vaccine regulator meets today to discuss. Now turning our attention back to the U.S. and, of course, turning our attention to Wall Street. Stocks back at records with the Dow doing something for the first time since August. And let's make a deal. Facebook making peace down under over newsfeed content. And caution to the wind as spring break towns Well, they welcome back thousands of tourists despite warnings from health experts. It is Tuesday, March 16th, 2021, and you're watching Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. And good morning. I am Frank Holland in for Brian Sullivan. Here's how your money and the global markets are setting up their day on this Tuesday. We begin, of course, with the U.S. markets pretty much flat. Looks like we're going to have a muted open to Wall Street today. Important to note, the Nasdaq is fractionally higher. Major averages coming off a mostly higher session yesterday. The Dow, the S&P 500 and the Russell 2000 all at record highs. The Dow seeing its longest win streak since August, seven trading days in a row. Now turning our attention to the bond market, that bond market being watched closely in a bit of a holding pattern as the FOMC kicks off its two-day policy meeting today. That 10-year yield right now, just a few basis points above 1.6 percent, something everybody's been watching very closely, still off of its highs from yesterday. Turning our attention now to the global markets, Asia ending its trading day in the green. Investors there also waiting on that word from the Fed and Europe. Getting its day just started right now when it comes to trading. And right now we see those averages all in the green. Uh, Important to note right here, the DAX up nearly a half a percent. To this morning's top story and a developing one at that. The backlash continues to grow this morning against the AstraZeneca Oxford University COVID-19 vaccine. 14 countries now, including France, Spain and Germany, have all suspended their rollouts of the vaccine as one of Europe's Europe's top regulatory bodies meets today to judge the safety of that shot. Our Juliana Tattlebaum joins us now. Juliana. Frank, good morning. So before we get into the story, it's worth just giving a little bit of context that AstraZeneca, the vaccine that they've developed alongside the University of Oxford, has been billed the vaccine for the planet. This is a vaccine where a lot of hopes have been pinned because it's cheap, it's easy to distribute, and we've got a lot of it relative to the other vaccines that have been available. It's been approved for use in the UK and in Europe. It hasn't been approved for use yet in the United States. They're still awaiting some phase three trial data. So what's happened here is 
that a very small number of events involving blood clots and abnormal bleeding in a very small number of people who've been vaccinated have caused some concern among European national governments. And as a result, we've seen over a dozen countries now at least partially, sometimes fully suspend use of the vaccine until these cases are further investigated. And as you say, these countries now include Germany, Italy and France. So the heavyweights here in Europe. AstraZeneca has come out saying very strongly that a careful review has been done on the safety data of more than 17 million people who've been vaccinated across the UK and the EU. And that data has shown no evidence of an increased risk of these events among those who've been vaccinated. Uh, They also confirmed that there have been no confirmed issues related to any particular batch of the vaccine because there has been some concern in Europe that some of these issues might be related to a specific batch of of vaccines. Also worth noting that the events uh, have not occurred in higher incidence among the vaccinated than would be the case in the general population. Frank? Hey, Juliana. I mean, these are some pretty big countries in the EU that are suspending this vaccine rollout. Any sense of what impact that'll have on the effort to end the pandemic over in Europe? So, Frank, the EU has come under fire for its slow vaccination rollout relative to other advanced economies, the U.S. and the U.K. in particular. They've also faced a huge issue with acceptance of the AstraZeneca vaccine in particular. Earlier this year, some European politicians came out and effectively undermined public trust in the vaccine by baselessly calling it quasi-ineffective. That was a line directly from the French president. Now, that was a case of insufficient data being available for the elderly when it comes to Astra's vaccine. There was no evidence at the time of reduced effectiveness of it, but it got really caught up in the uh, political rhetoric in Europe. Also worth noting that EU leaders have had a very public row with AstraZeneca over supply of its vaccine. So people asking now how much of this is politically driven. Is the EU being overly cautious given that regulators to date stand by the vaccine? We are going to get more information from the European Medicines Agency today. They're going to be reviewing the data and information. And on Thursday, they're going to be holding an extraordinary meeting where they're expected to deliver their official assessment. But so far, they stand by it and they say that the benefits of this vaccine outweigh the risks associated with COVID-19 and all of the uh, hospitalization and increased risk of death that comes along with the disease. The UK regulator also standing by the vaccine. And this is crucial because the UK is continuing to charge ahead with AstraZeneca in its vaccine rollout that the UK regulator said it has not been confirmed that the reports of blood clots were caused by the Astra vaccine. People should still go and get their AstraZeneca COVID vaccine when asked to do so. Great reporting, Juliana. We appreciate it. Certainly a developing story. Juliana Tattlebaum over in Europe. Thank you. All right, back here in the U.S., President Biden and Vice President Harris are set to hit the road today to take a bit of a victory lap after the passage of the $1.9 trillion stimulus plan. This is Democrats turn their attention to their next policy priority. Tracy Potts joins us now from Washington. Good morning, Tracy. Hi, Frank. Good morning, everyone. That next priority is immigration. As there is now a situation, some call it a crisis, brewing at the border, the president sending federal help down there while hitting the road today to promote and to explain this COVID relief plan. Shots in arms and money in pockets. The Help is Here tour continues today with President Biden in Pennsylvania and Vice President Harris in Colorado pushing the American Rescue Plan. It's not selling it. 
It's literally letting people know their rights, right? $1,400 relief payments are rolling out. Now, President Biden says 100 million COVID vaccinations will be done in the next 10 days. Republicans accuse him of taking credit for a rollout that was already underway when he took office. Their effort to sprint to the front of this year-long campaign should not fool anybody. Vaccinations are critical now with spring break approaching. We have seen footage of people enjoying spring break festivities maskless. Despite travel warnings, the TSA says 1.3 million people flew on Friday, a record during the pandemic, and now a different crisis. The Federal Emergency Management Agency, FEMA, is headed to the border to temporarily house 3,200 migrant children arriving without parents after President Biden relaxed the Trump remain in Mexico policy. This is a human heartbreak. There's no other way to claim it than a Biden border crisis. We want to expedite getting these kids out of these CBP facilities as quickly as possible. This week, lawmakers consider two immigration bills, legal status for undocumented farm workers, and a path to citizenship for dreamers who came here illegally as children. Republicans also want to talk about border security. And Frank, both sides are saying that they don't think they're going to come up with a comprehensive immigration plan here. They're probably going to deal with these issues one at a time. Well, Tracy, let's turn our attention back to stimulus just for a second. Uh, These checks, they only go to people who filed taxes. How is the IRS doing when it comes to processing this year's returns? So they're behind. They're significantly behind where they were last year. They say that generally it takes about 21 days to turn things around. But this year, because the relief bills actually changed the tax code because they're working with fewer people uh, and they have so many returns that they are just slower than they were last year in processing them. Tracy Potts in D.C., we appreciate it. Thank you. All right, turning our attention back to the markets. As the Dow and the S&P hover near record highs amid optimism over the economic reopening, investor attention will shift to the Fed as the central bank kicks off its latest two-day policy meeting today. For more, I'm joined by Bill Stone, chief investment officer at the Glenview Trust Company. Good morning, Bill. Morning. So, Bill, a lot going on with central banks. Of course, the Fed's meeting, also the Bank of England, the Bank of Japan. But if you don't mind, let's begin with the retail sales number coming out later this morning. Uh, The estimate is for it to fall very slightly. What do you expect and how could that potentially impact this Fed meeting? So I think you have to put into context of the January number was extremely strong, so up over 5 percent. And remember, that's when we got the, the first the $600 uh, stimulus checks going out. So it was kind of juiced by that. February, remember, lots of bad weather. It was actually, you just talked about it, there was some delay in tax returns, et cetera. So I think that's going to hold down February. But, you know, hold on to your hat because March we've got the bigger checks going out. So I think, you know, you're going to, most people are really going to look through this and say there is a big retail sales number likely coming uh, in March and perhaps, you know, moving over into April as well. So I don't think it's going to upset people in terms of some sort of worry about the economy uh, and may, in fact, again, when you're thinking about central banks, say, oh, you know, here's another reason why we may not want to be so accommodative. Interesting. So back on the on that FOMC meeting later today. Um, It's going to include the return of those dot plots that a lot of people think are famous or infamous, whichever way you look at it, kind of shares the outlook of the federal funds rate from different members. How do you think that J-PAL and the markets will react to any movements of those dots? 
So I think it will make Jay Powell's uh, job a lot harder if those dots move um, because, it, you know, how they would move is probably move in some sort of rate hike a little bit quicker than expected. I actually don't expect that. I think, uh, you know, one way or another, I think it would make everyone's life easier, at least on, on the Fed side, if they don't do that. Either way, he's going to have to spend a lot of time talking about inflation being a transitory item and that the Fed's going to stay accommodative. And I think that's the script that he's going to go with. He's going to have to do a fair amount of dancing, uh, but uh, it would be worse if they changed those plots. So, Bill, let's talk about a forecast that came from you uh, for Q1 GDP. You have it at 10 percent. Just for perspective, the New York Fed has it at 8.6 percent. Why are you feeling so optimistic? Well, I think, you know, part of it stems from what I talked about earlier, which is that that stimulus. So running through the retail sales. So that means, you know, obviously consumer strong. I'm already if you think about reopening, uh, one of the things I, I watch a lot of things on that. But I think the easiest thing to point to is the mobility numbers, though. You know, they track the cell phone usage in terms of how much it moves around. Mobility is the highest it's been uh, post post covid. Uh, and that's just telling you people are getting out and about. So all the other things that you track around vaccinations, et cetera, at the end of the day, if people are moving around, I think it's a highly likelihood that you're going to see a very strong economic numbers. There's a lot of things we could talk about, but I think that's the easiest one. All right, Bill Stone, we appreciate the insight. Thanks for joining us this morning. All right, Thank much you. more Worldwide Exchange to come. When we come back, your morning's big money movers, including the latest action in the ongoing GameStop saga, Plus, more on the fallout over the AstraZeneca vaccine. We're going to talk to one medical expert calling into question the new fears over side effects with that treatment. And another SPAC deal on deck involving a popular trading platform and one big-name banker. A very busy hour still ahead when Worldwide Exchange returns. Stay with us. What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away? At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. EdwardJones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx. All right, welcome back. Let's get a check on some of the big stock movers today. Volkswagen shares lower after it reaffirms, actually, Volkswagen shares up almost uh, more than 8% after it reaffirms outlook for the year, expecting business to recover significantly from the pandemic. The world's number two automaker is targeting sales growth of 5 to 6.5% this year and 7 to 8% in coming years. Turning our attention to the farmer world, AbbVie is reportedly in talks to sell a $5 billion portfolio of female-focused drugs it acquired last year through its purchase of Botox maker Allergen. 
Reuters says the move restarts a process to sell the business, which Allergen ditched back in 2018. You see shares are fractionally higher. Nikola is in the market to raise some more cash. The electric truck maker filing to sell 100 million new shares. Nikola says the proceeds may be used to complete its Arizona manufacturing plant and develop fuel cell and hydrogen infrastructure. Shares down just about 3%. GameStop moving lower after stock was briefly halted in yesterday's session due to increased volatility. Shares have rebounded this month, basically returning to the levels that we saw back in late January. GameStop stop is set to report Fourth quarter results next week. We see shares are up 3% this morning. Important to remember, shares are up more than 1,000% year to date. All right, still on deck. Spring breakers potentially pushing the COVID outbreak back into the red. We're going to talk to two business owners grappling with safety and an influx of party goers. Stay with us. Today's big number, $930 billion. That's how much e-commerce sales could reach this year, according to data by Adobe. That would represent a gain of 63% from 2019. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. And welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. Let's get a check on this morning's other headlines. NBC's Philip Mena is in New York with the very latest. Good morning, Philip. Hey, Frank, good morning. The attorney for Derek Chauvin, the former officer on trial for the murder of George Floyd, has asked the judge for a delay and to reconsider a change of venue. He says a $27 million settlement with the Floyd family last week could taint the jury pool. A huge hit to the UConn women's basketball team heading into the NCAA tournament. Their head coach, Gino Ariema, has tested positive for coronavirus. The school said Ariema did receive his second dose of the vaccine, but was nine days shy of being fully vaccinated. He's not experiencing symptoms, and right now he's isolating at home. Ariema can rejoin the Huskies on March 24th. As we all know, this pandemic has dramatically shifted the way we work. And in New York, it looks like it may be for good. Roughly four out of five office workers in Manhattan will not be returning full time. That's according to a partnership for New York City survey. They also spoke to some major companies and 66 percent say they would adapt a hybrid model, splitting schedules between working in the office and working from home. Less than half of Manhattan's million or so office workers are expected back in the office by September, Frank. Uh, so it might not ever be business as usual here. Yeah, it'd be interesting to see how this all plays out, Philip. I mean, you've been living in New York longer than I have, but the city's just not the same. It's, it's just not, it doesn't have the same energy. I think a lot of people are hoping it returns to the Big Apple at some point. Yeah, it's been surreal, I have to say, but slowly but surely, uh, it is getting back to normal, but we are uh, a long ways away from there. Absolutely. We'll knock on wood. We are going to get back to normal. Philip Mann right. in New York, we appreciate it. All right, still ahead, Crossmark's Victoria Fernandez lays out the stocks she and her team are keeping a close eye on. Plus, the new developments in this country's opioid crisis as the family accused of being at the center of it all increases a settlement offer. And if you haven't already subscribed to our podcast, just go ahead and do it. If you miss Worldwide Exchange, check us out on Apple, Spotify, or other podcast apps. 
and we will be right back. Stay with us. Stocks fighting to keep the record gains coming as investors turn their attention to the Fed's latest policy meeting. Former Fed Governor Sarah Bloom Raskin lays out what moves the central bank may make. A new potential threat in the fight against COVID as small business owners juggle virus protocol and making money amid the spring break festivities. And another day, another SPAC as veteran baker Betsy Cohen eyes a $10 billion deal with one Robin Hood rival. It is Tuesday, March 16th, 2021. And you're watching Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. All right, welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. I am Frank Holland in for Big Papa Brian Sullivan. For more on what to watch in today's markets, let's bring in Victoria Fernandez, Chief Market Strategist at Crossmark Global Investments. Victoria, good morning and thanks for joining us. Morning, Frank. So let's look ahead to that Fed policy meeting. A lot of people are looking for those dot plots and if there'll be any movement. Are you looking for that? Do you think there's any major significance to moves? And how do you think Jay Powell will react if there is a move? Yeah, you know, I don't think people were anticipating much from this meeting except for watching the dot plots and that summary of economic projections. The last time we got this from the FOMC was in December, and it was a very different macro environment then. We look now where GDP expectations are one and a half to two percent higher, inflation expectations are higher as well. Unemployment rate actually has a lower expectation than where we were back in December. So the question is going to be, do enough members of the FMC move their dots, move that expectation for rate hikes in enough to where the market is going to react? If they do, Powell is going to have a very difficult time in the press conference trying to walk that back and calm the markets down because we would see rates in the Treasury market move higher, not just in the 10 to 30 year, but down down kind of in that belly of the curve to five to seven year would move higher as well. And we've seen the reaction that equity markets had to rising rates over the last couple months. That's what people will be focusing on. Of those rates rising, certainly a concern to a lot of people on Wall Street. Um, let's also talk about inflation. Uh, there are expectations that the Fed will clarify its inflation target. Do you think it stays at 2% or will it change? No, Frank, I think it stays at 2%. But the big question, and one of the reasons we saw some volatility the last time Powell spoke in his interview that he had about a week and a half ago, is because the Fed is adamant that this is going to be transitory inflation. And I think many people are expecting the Fed to come out and if not actually do something with rates or with their bond uh, buying program, to at least verbally acknowledge that the inflation couldn't be something more than transitory, more than just base effect and more than supply chain issues. I tend to think we're going to see inflation go north of 2% for the next quarter or so, but then come back down later towards the end of the year. So I am kind of in the Fed's camp of transitory inflation, but it's definitely going to be a key um, to how Powell addresses the market. So uh, about 20% of the market seeing 52-week highs right now. So let's talk a little bit more about stocks. You're very bullish on mega cap tech stocks like Fang names and things like that. But you're even more bullish on what you call growthier names. Can you give us a couple examples and kind of explain what growthier means? 
Yeah, so I think a lot of people get caught in the whole growth versus value concepts, and they forget that there are names that really don't have to be one or the other. They can be both. So for us, an example, um, we've talked about it before, is McCormick, the spice company. Many people consider it a value name, but yet it has consistent growth every year, around 2% growth. And people don't realize our equity portfolio manager always says, do you know the price that you paid for cinnamon last year versus this year? We really don't. But the growth component is there. So yes, we like the tech names. NVIDIA is a name that we have bought recently. Broadcom is a name we've bought recently. But we think you can look in other areas as well and find names that have growth, but are not necessarily in that growth bucket. All right, Victoria, before we let you go, I got to ask, are you more bullish on those stay-at-home trades, or do you think the reopening trade is the place to be right now? We're obviously seeing that performance by the Russell outperforming the other indexes. Yeah, I think a lot of it depends on what you're, um, if you're trading short term or long term. For long term, we still like those longer term trends in 5G and data infrastructure. Short term, obviously, the reopening trade has some momentum. We would play that with names like Visa or MasterCard. All right, Victoria Fernandez, we appreciate the insight as always. Thanks for being here. All right, now turning our attention to this morning's other top stories. Mississippi will become the second state to open COVID vaccinations to all adults starting today. The state following in the footsteps of Alaska, which made a similar move last week, and Michigan and Connecticut will drop restrictions starting on April 5th. The moves follow the call by President Biden for all states to do so by May 1st. Members of the family at the center of this country's opioid crisis are increasing how much money they're offering to settle lawsuits tied to the epidemic. The Sackler family, which owns OxyContin maker Purdue Pharma, are now offering nearly $4.3 billion to settle litigation. That's up from $3 billion initially proposed in settlement discussions in the company's bankruptcy proceedings. And the trading platform eToro is reportedly planning to go public via a merger with a SPAC. What else? According to Bloomberg, the blank check firm is led by veteran banker Betsy Cohen's FinTech Acquisition Corp. 5. And shares of FinTech are surging on that report. The report says the deal, which could be announced as soon as today, will be valued, will value the combined company at just about $10 billion. All right, back to this morning's developing story in the vaccine rollout over in Europe. 14 countries, including Germany, France, and Spain, have now suspended their administration of the Oxford University uh, AstraZeneca COVID-19 vaccine over fears of blood clot side effects. Numerous health organizations, including the WHO, they maintain there is no link between the shots and the reported blood clots in certain individuals. Europe's top, top vaccine regulator meets today to weigh the evidence. And joining me now is an expert in the field of blood clots whose organization continues to recommend all eligible adults get the COVID-19 vaccine is Dr. Jeff Weitz. He's the president of the International Society of Thrombosis and Hemostasis, as well as a professor of medicine at McMaster University. Jeff, thanks for being here. Thank you. Pleasure to be here. So it's certainly concerning, especially in the EU, to see some of the most populated countries in Europe, as well as some of the biggest economies, say they're going to pause the use of this AstraZeneca vaccine over these concerns of blood clots. So you're a researcher that's obviously very well versed in this. Is there any direct link between that AstraZeneca vaccine and the blood clots in certain individuals? No, there's no uh, obvious link between the AstraZeneca vaccine and blood clots. And I think we have to put the problem into perspective. About uh, 5 million individuals in Europe have received the AstraZeneca vaccine, and there have been reports of about 
30 individuals with blood clots. We would estimate that in 5 million individuals with COVID-19, about at least 100,000 would develop blood clots. So the vaccine uh, reduces blood clots by over 99%. And it's thinking like that, which led ISDH and other organizations to urge the ongoing administration of the AstraZeneca and other vaccines to reduce the burden of COVID-19. So, Dr. Weitz, I know you didn't go to medical school for me to call you Jeff. Uh, Dr. Weitz, if all these different countries are seeing evidence of it and you see a lot of backlash to it, is there any reason why they just shouldn't switch to a different vaccine? I mean, if people are hesitant and we want to see people vaccinated, why not switch if people have these concerns, whether they're just real or perceived? Right. Well, it would be fine if we had lots of the other vaccines, but we don't. And countries are depending on the AstraZeneca vaccine as part of their fight against COVID-19. And remember that the AstraZeneca vaccine has the advantage that it just needs refrigeration, whereas the Moderna and the Pfizer vaccine require storage at in a freezer. So the AstraZeneca vaccine is much easier to administer in pharmacies and doctor's offices. So there's a need for multiple tools to get the burden of COVID-19 under control. So I understand there's only a small number of these incidents of blood clot situations, but even those small numbers, isn't that a reason for concern? Is there anything that can be done perhaps after the vaccine is taken to reduce that risk? Well, I think awareness of the signs and symptoms of blood clots is important so that should individuals develop any of those signs or symptoms, they can seek medical attention promptly and get appropriate treatment. And just for people watching, um, one of the issues here is thrombosis with the vaccine. Can you kind of explain what that is and what are the longer term dangers? Yeah, thrombosis means abnormal blood clot formation, which can occur in the veins or the arteries. And with COVID-19, it more commonly occurs in the veins, and it can lead to uh, deep vein thrombosis, a clot in the legs that can lead to a clot in the lungs. And most of these, if they're diagnosed early, can be easily treated, and the risk of recurrence is, is low. So the most important thing is to be aware of the symptoms and signs of thrombosis and to seek attention should any of those develop. But the the benefits of the vaccines far outweigh any of the risks, including this rare event of clot formation, which is probably related to the underlying disease and not to the vaccine itself. So we know that uh, the safety committee over in the EU is going to review this information today and they're going to have an extraordinary meeting, what they call an extraordinary meeting on Thursday. Before we let you go, what are you expecting from that meeting? I expect that they'll review the data, look at the rare number of events and come to the same conclusions that we should continue vaccinating people to reduce the burden from COVID-19 and that uh, these events are not directly related to the to the to the vaccine. All right, Dr. Weitz, we appreciate that insight. Thank you very much.
All right. Coming up here on Worldwide Exchange, we talked to two small business owners in spring break hotspots about how they're juggling COVID protocols and booming business. But first, as we had the break, some of your other top stories. News Corp has struck a deal with Facebook to provide the social media giants users in Australia access to its content. The agreement follows that standoff over legislation passed by the Australian government to compensate publishers. The FAA is extending its crackdown on unruly airline passengers. The agency says it will keep its zero tolerance policy in place as long as the federal mask mandate is in effect. And Walmart is tapping a former Project Runway judge to help elevate its fashion labels. Designer Brandon Maxwell, who has designed, who has dressed celebrities, including former First Lady Michelle Obama and Lady Gaga, will oversee the retailer's scoop and free assembly brands as creative director. Worldwide Exchange returns in just a moment. Vaccine distribution may be rapidly increasing, but the CDC is warning the U.S. could see another surge in cases as an increasing number of Americans, they travel for spring break. Partygoers are packing beaches in many spring break hotspots. You're seeing the pictures right here, uh, raising worries among local health officials about the ramification of these crowds that are not wearing face coverings. For more, I'm joined by two business owners that have fully reopened. Kariakis Dramonis is from the Oyster Pub in Daytona Beach, Florida, and Colleen Bumo is the co-owner of the Coral Reef Lounge in South Padre Island, Texas. Uh, thank you both for being here this morning. I'm sure you had a late night last night. Good morning, Frank. Thank you. So I have to ask you guys, um, how are you handling these face coverings, uh, or excuse me, these crowds that aren't wearing face coverings? Are you asking them to wear a face covering or a mask when they come into your business? Colleen, if you don't mind, I'll start with you. We have decided uh, last Wednesday on March 10th, our governor decided that that was a personal choice that people could make. So we are offering that to our patrons as well. Uh, We did follow all the guidelines that we were given before that, but we are definitely um, now allowing people to make that choice. In Florida, since we haven't been under any mask mandate the entire time, we've always made it a a personal choice for the customer. Uh, I'd say the I'd say the average is about 25% of the people would wear a mask that do come in. Got it. So we were all young once and probably all wanted to be at the beaches that where you guys are at and having a good time. Do you think it hurts your business if you would it would hurt your business if you mandated uh, face coverings, at least when people came in your business? Is there some pressure from your customers to let them not wear a face covering because the state does not mandate it? Again, personally, here. Okay, go. I'm sorry. Go ahead, Colleen. (laughs) Um, Personally, here as well, we don't um, I don't know that it would affect our business. People were very cooperative for the most part when we were under the mandate. Now that we're not, you know, you still see people that want to wear it, and that's perfectly fine. We're happy to have them come, too. Kriakis, what are you seeing at your uh, your venue? Uh, you know, I basically echo what Colleen says there. Uh, I haven't had too many problems with uh, compliance when people uh, have wanted to wear masks. They've worn it. It's been a personal choice. Uh, like I said, we've been pretty much at 100% capacity since September uh, of 2020. Um, we were closed for a very short amount of time, six weeks back in, in the early part of 2020 before we started ramping up 25%, 50%, and then 100% in September. 
So since that time, I think it's become a little bit more standardized and more norm for people mm-hmm. to just say, hey, it's everyone's personal choice, and that's what they've been doing. Yeah, but you know what? Maybe that's actually part of the problem. I'm not a public health official, but that's what they seem to say, is that people just need to wear their masks. Um, obviously, you guys have to weigh business concerns with public health concerns. How are you doing it? I would imagine spring break is one of your prime times to make money. Uh, Colleen, yeah, if you don't mind, Daytona, start with you. In, in Daytona Beach, um, our uh, special event season, as we call it, consists of the events such as the Daytona 500. We just got done with a huge motorcycle rally, which is Daytona Bike Week. So we've already had large crowds come through. We're now seeing the influx of spring breakers. And when you say spring breakers, it consists of collegiate students. It consists of families. It consists of local traffic that drives to the coast this time of year to, to be with all the other vacation travelers. Uh, and so uh, it's been a, a smorgasbord of people and a large amount of people that have come through the area already. I think a little bit of COVID fatigue has set in and, and these people are are itching to get out and uh, at least start some type of normalcy again. So, Colleen, how are you balancing these public health concerns and obviously an important time for your business? Well, we were closed, unlike the Florida bars, we were closed almost eight months in less than a year. So um, we're welcoming back people to a normal level. Uh, We were only at 50 percent the few months that we are allowed to be open. So now it is it's it's very nice to at least have the opportunity to have people make the choice to come into the bar. We have 100 percent capacity. We're allowed to we don't have to have the table space like they were before. But, you know, it's, it's just our bar doesn't get a lot of spring breakers. The other larger establishments on the island do. But the island also the city officials decided that they did not want to give any special event permits this year. And that has kept a lot of, they, uh, I guess, the big, you would say, the big uh, vendors that come in to support spring break. They're not doing that this year. And we're only going to be having maybe, they're saying, about 5,000 compared to 50,000 in the past. All right, before we let you guys go, and, and Kiriakis, I'm going to ask you to answer first. Um, is spring break the same? I know you guys can have 100% capacity, but that doesn't mean that you have the same amount of people coming down this year. A lot of people are watching both of your towns for health concerns and also for some insight into the reopening. Are you seeing the same crowds or people spending the same amount of money? It's not at the levels uh, that we're used to in the past right now. Um, there's been a number of things that have been put in place, obviously, with all the health concerns. And even the colleges and universities adjusted their academic calendars this year, which took out the spring break week, which you would traditionally see. So that would just right, that right there has stopped probably the vast majority of spring breakers from, from taking a vacation this year because they're all in class. So, Colleen, same question for you. I know you say you don't have a huge spring break crowd, but during this time, if you could compare to perhaps 2019 when things were normal, are you seeing the same crowds? Are people spending the same amount of money or have consumer habits changed? They are spending the same amount of money. Um, If we were able to do business for our full hours, we also were not able to do business till 2 a.m. We had to close at 11 p.m. the months that we're open. So people are spending the same amount of money, but I do not, um, the spring break, I do see that they're expected to come more heavily towards the weekend because they are in school, just like the Florida schools, the Texas schools have changed their spring breaks. All right, Kyriakis Dramonis and Colleen Bumel, thank you both. I know it was a late night last night, probably another late night tonight. We appreciate you guys waking up early with us.
Thank you very much. On deck here on Worldwide Exchange, the Fed in the hot seat with its latest policy meeting. Sarah Bloom Raskin lays out the central bank's strategy to navigate surging bond yields and fears about rising inflation. And if you haven't already subscribed to our podcast, just go ahead and do it. If you miss Worldwide Exchange or Big Papa Brian Sullivan, you can check us out on Apple, Spotify, or other podcast apps. And we will be right back. All right, welcome back. The Federal Reserve just hours from now will kick off its two-day policy meeting with investors watching Chairman Jay Powell for any mention of inflation risk and whether the central bank is ready to take its foot off the pedal in terms of accommodation. Council of Economic Advisors Chair Cecilia Rouse, she says she's not concerned. There is a risk of there being inflation. Am I losing sleep over it? No. Um, The reason is that there's considerable slack in this economy. And we know that the way that the American Rescue Plan is designed, it's going to pay out over several quarters. And importantly, we will be watching, as we know the Federal Reserve will be too. And we believe the Fed has the tools to address any inflation. Um, So, you know, I think that right now the imperative is to get to the other side of this pandemic. And joining me now is former Federal Reserve Board Governor and former Deputy Treasury Secretary Sarah Bloom Raskin, also a CNBC contributor. Sarah, good morning. Thanks for being here. Good morning. So you have some special insight as someone who's moved those dots personally. You've moved them yourself and probably had some some, uh, conversations with your colleagues about their movements. How important is any movement? How do you think Jay Powell will react and how do you think the markets will react? Well, you're exactly right, Frank, because today, in addition to being um, the launch of the two-day FOMC meeting, will also be a day where the members of the FOMC put out their dot plots. And you refer to those dot plots, and they do contain some hints as to how the members of the FOMC are thinking about the recent increase really in short-term interest rates and what they are imagining those intra- that that tightening could possibly mean. So yeah, there's gonna be some hints today as to, um, as to what that means, whether those um, uh, uh, creeping up of interest rates mean anything regarding um, uh, some kind of disanchoring of inflationary expectations. Um, tend to think not, that it won't be the case, but yet you've got markets a little bit, a little bit active here. All right. The December edition had no moves to those dots. Uh, we also have a lot of questions about the Fed's inflation target. So I have to ask you again, if, if one of those dots moves, does that change the inflation target? And what does that mean going forward when we uh, see the press conference later, if, if we see a dot move? What will Jay Powell have to say to the right. markets to keep them calm? Right. So um, I wouldn't put too much emphasis on, you know, whether one member's dots move um, versus another member's. I think that that is is really something that is more secondary. And I'd really be paying attention to the language 
that uh, Chairman Powell uses in his press conference today. He's or tomorrow. He's going to have a lot of questions, and 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 how he answers those questions, particularly as they relate to this um, slight tightening in short-term interest rates, both in treasury markets as well as in some corporate bond markets. That's what we're going to want to listen to and hear his level of concern. Now, you heard just from uh, Cecilia Rouse that, that they're not so concerned, that essentially markets should try to see through those um, increases in interest rates. But you're going to want to hear from Chairman Powell as well and hear how he explains what is happening, whether he views those interest rate increases as transitory or whether he welcomes them. It's going to be interesting to see what words he chooses. So a lot of attention on this meeting coming up later today. Two other topics to get a lot of attention, especially here on CNBC, SPACs and Bitcoin. And you said something that really blew my mind, that the Fed actually has some oversight over SPACs and Bitcoin, just not directly. Can you explain? Yeah, that's exactly right. So in addition to the monetary policy authority that we always think about when it comes to the Fed, the Fed and the FOMC, there's, of course, also regulatory authority. And the Fed needs to look and is continuously looking at the development of asset bubbles, of particular speculation um, activity. And the Fed keeps an eye on that. And when the Fed sees something that is concerning, it has choices. It says to itself, are we so concerned that we want to tighten monetary policy, sort of flatten everything out in order to pierce the bubble of this speculation, or are we going to use other regulatory tools that we have, particularly as they relate to the lenders that are financing and fueling some of this speculative activity? And you mentioned too, Frank, not saying that it's, you know, that it's speculation necessarily, but it's something to keep an eye on, which of course are the development of SPACs, right, as well as some of the um, the Bitcoin activity. And, and I am almost certain that the Fed is keeping an eye on the prices of both of those assets. Yeah, certainly keeping an eye. And in fact, in recent speeches, the Fed's actually mentioned a possible need, not a definite need, but a possible need for more regulatory authority to kind of rein in what they might consider shadow markets. Do you think the Fed actually needs more authority? Well, that is a big question as to whether the Fed needs that authority or has that authority. I would probably think that the Fed has that authority, that there are ways in which the Fed can be thinking about and leaning into some of the activity in wholesale funding markets and some of the some of the liquidity that it is providing. So there's a lot that the Fed is keeping an eye on. There's a lot behind the scenes that the Fed can do prior to, you know, running up to Congress and asking for more authority. So you're of the opinion there's a bit of sloppiness, as you say, involving uh, QE1 and QE2. Do you think the Fed remains accommodative? Uh, Yes, continues accommodation. Couldn't get that word out. It's early. Um, Does the (laughs) Fed consider a continue accommodation or do they change policy significantly? Right. So in this meeting, I think nobody's expecting significant, a significant change in the policy settings. But you're right, Frank, that the, that the, that the, the, the accommodation is really quite high. The Fed has, in essence, as you recall, um, moved the federal funds rate close to zero. Chairman Powell and other members have indicated that the rate is likely to stay there for, for quite a bit of time. You even look at the dot plots and you can see 
but there's really no indication yet that those interest that those that that Fed funds rate is going to get increased anytime soon. So we do have quite a bit of monetary policy accommodation, and of course we have a lot of accommodation on the fiscal side. Uh, the Congress recently passed a huge stimulus, right? The $1.9 trillion stimulus. That too is going to provide a lot of juice to the economy. So between the monetary policy accommodation settings and where you've got fiscal policy right now, we do have quite a bit of accommodation right now in, in, in our economy. All right, Sarah Bloom-Raskin, we appreciate the insight ahead of that big Fed meeting later today. Thanks for being here. All right, that does it for us here on Worldwide Exchange. Squawk Box coming up next. You've been listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. You can always catch us live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern only on CNBC. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.